And on that night, I remember lying there, and about two in the morning, I was proper depressed. It was like everywhere I looked, there was Christmas coming up, it was November, I couldn't get my kids' presents, I was worrying about that, and no work was coming in. And, I, and everywhere I looked, it was pain, pain, pain. I couldn't see any way out, nothing I could do. And I sat there that night, and I had a tear running down my face, and I thought, I could go to sleep, not wake up, I'll take it. And that tear felt really low, and all of a sudden, this voice popped up. What are you doing, you You teach people this stuff, do it yourself. So I sort of wiped my tear away, and I closed my eyes, and I thought, right, New Paul McKenna, but when I started visualising what I wanted, yeah, I got up the next day, sort my website back up. I didn't want to be here last night, so what could be worse than this? So, so went out in front of the world. I had this old BMW, and mate, let me take on tick. I remember seeing Range Rovers. I thought, right, I'm gonna get one in one day. I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm, every time I see one, I'm gonna lift the seat up and I'm imagine what it feels like to be looking down. So every time I see a black Range Rover, I put this electric seat back up again, and I was practice, imagine what it feels like to be looking in that So I was practicing like the energy side mm. the emotional side, the experience of it. And it's mad how many Range Rovers you see when you're RES yeah. and kicks and I'm like, I'm down and I'm in my head. Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary event crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. The unconscious mind is a powerful thing, and understanding its capabilities has been a passion of Robert Heisey for well over a decade. As a young poor kid, with ADHD and dyslexia, Robert found himself drifting down the well-trodden path of so many of his peers. He was told he was stupid, he was written off, and he was expected to be grateful for jobs he hated, working for people who didn't see his worth. But he broke free of those expectations using music, hard work, and eventually the power of the mind to carve out a new path. Today, he is a successful celebrity hypnotist and unconscious mind therapist, changing lives through his work and helping high-profile clients reach their full potential. This is the eventful life of Mr. Robert Heisey. Rob, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me, Dodge. I really appreciate it. Let's roll all the way back. I want to know where you grew up and how you become the UK's number one unconscious mind therapist. Yeah, I grew up in Bermondsey. I was dyslexic with ADHD, so I'm not academic at all, really. So I left school at 14. Um, yeah, so I was knocking around the streets up to no good. Just, you know, weren't much vision for nothing around there, you know. Yeah. Um, I had low self-worth, very insecure. I was that sort of poor to most of the poor kids, even if that makes sense. I remember my neighbour having a next track suit, and to me that was like Dolce & Gabbana. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was down, I, I was down East Lane Market, and yeah. um, you had to make your trainers last, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it wasn't all that bad. It had a great family and stuff, but it was working class, very working class. Dad was a bricklayer. Yeah. And mum worked in a factory, so. Did you did you know at that time you were from a poor family from, from Bermondsey? Because Bermondsey is a tough area, right? It is, yeah. And we really? pride ourselves on it. But the thing is, everyone's poor. And I said, one, well, yeah, I, I knew it was from a poor poor area, obviously, because the estate I lived on was falling apart. But um, when you're brought up in them areas, you don't really come out of that little area. Because yeah. you had, you had like, you get gangs on the outside, so you don't really go out. We didn't really mix with going to Peckham or yeah. Elephants, or you know, you know, like Wharf Road. We'd call them Roaders. We'd be like the Berms, and you sort of stay in that little that little centre. Yeah. You didn't make friends. You got older, you made friends with a lot of people on the outside, but you didn't really get, go further than the Old Kent Road. It was yeah. like 
you know, we'd have Bermondsey one side of it and the Wharf Roaders were on the other side yeah. of it. So we'd always... Yeah. How, how old are you, Rob? 45. 45. So yeah. back then, so you were growing up in the 80s? Well, no, 90s. I was a kid in the 80s, but it was more 80, 90s. Yeah. yeah. So growing up in the sort of 80s around the council yeah, stuff. Yeah. Did you find it back then, it was like a, a postcode gang warfare going on back in those nah, 80s? Nah, it weren't like that then. Yeah. It weren't like that then. It was... That happened much later. I'd say more even the end of the 90s. Yeah. You still got the silly postcode wars, which is... Just, Stupid, isn't it, really? But the only thing I, I had the ambition to be, this is the truth, and the only thing I had an ambition to be was, you know, when you grow up around there, you look at your dad who was in the building site who had nothing, driving Daxon Sunnies and Lathers, yeah. or, you know, you had the drug dealers and the armed robbers, because there's yeah. more, more armed robbery then, because there weren't uh, you know, a CCTV that you've got now. Yeah. So you had a lot of lorry jump-ups and things coming out of state. And Do you know there was more? there's more armed robbers around the Bermondsey area grew up around there yeah. is the whole of the UK? Yeah, I know, it's mad. <laughs> it's mad, I know, but, it? Yeah, it's like, they call it the St. Triangle, Bermondsey. That's right. Bermondsey, Ox, Oxton, I think, over East London. It's yeah. like a little triangle. That's and right. They all mixed together, yeah. yeah. There's loads yeah. of armed robbers. But that was... Um, blaggers, they used to call them blaggers. Yeah. Um, and there, so I was brought up around there and I say, all you wanted to be as a kid, the gospel truth is, I wanted to be a, a, either a drug dealer or an armed robber. That's all. The only one that had money was them sort of people. Yeah. So you'd watch the films like as you grew up like in early 90s where we were like Goodfellas and things like yeah. that. And that was the only thing you had half a chance to do because you knew you couldn't do good at school. So it was either, but there was still a, a code that you ain't got now. Like my dad used to go, even my old man goes to me, never rob off a working person. He said, yeah. I don't give a fuck if the people are doing banks or, sorry, I swear, I don't care if people are doing banks or doing factories or whatever, they're insured, but you never rob off a working yeah. man. And that was like a big thing. So there was like, and that's still wrong, but there was sort of some code between it. You don't yeah. take trouble to someone's doorstep like they do now. Yeah. They turn up at your mum and dad's house where back then, they still have, there was still like an unwritten sort of code a bit as a respect, kid. Wasn't there? A lot more respect, yeah. A lot more respect back yeah. then, yeah. So when you were growing, when you were growing up, did you sort of like visualise saying, "I want to be earning a pound note when I'm older"? No, or do, you know, do you know what? I got a story. I never told none. This is it's, it's weird going back there because it wasn't much visualisation. I had an uncle who lived in West Kingsdown, and when I used to go and stay with him as a kid, I used to sometimes sit and think about what it'd be like to live out in the country because to me that was like it's only ain't even that far from London, but to me it was like amazing to go down there, nice schools, the cows, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, I didn't even see the dark where I, where I grew up, but. I tell you, one of the biggest turning points, I was working in a factory, a chemical factory, about, I don't know, 16, 17. And the, and the geezer spoke to me like, spoke to me like um, a piece of rubbish, like mm -hmm. one day. And I was in the office and he was giving it. But, you know, one thing I did have, I was dyslexic, you know, I, I didn't have much self-worth, but I still had a little bit of self-pride. Like, ain't people mugging me off. So mm -hmm. I threw one of them. I don't know if you remember at school, you said them big sellotape holders. Yeah. Big everyone. I threw it at him, crashed. I was only skinny little kid. I threw it <laughs> I won't say what I called him on here. Yeah. I threw it at him and he said, get out, get out. You know, you, and I got fired. And I walked into my factory next door with my mum. And I love my mum to bitch. Like she's a, a proper working class girl. All she ever done, the hardest work I've ever seen in yeah. my life. And I walked into the into her um, factory which was next door. It was like a dry cleaner for industrial, for all the big hotels. It was massive, it was sweating in there. I walked in there and I'm frat, going off my head about this geezer. I've told him to st stick the job and all that. And she, I remember her going to me, she got hold of me and she went mental. She went, don't ask to lend the tenner off me. She went, bloody, you had a good job in there, blah, blah, And I sort of looked at her and thought, I remember having this thought of like my self-worth, like well, you'd prefer me to suffer him talking to me like that and take 180 quid a week or something I was yeah. taking home. And and I thought, I never lent a tenner off you since I was 14. I've been out working. My dad had me in scrapyards and yeah. all that with all that old, the old villains and that because I couldn't go to school or get bunking. So I was melting aluminium at 14. And um, in the legal, in the legal furnace, <laughs> legal, yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. Um, it was a good story in that day. But anyway, so I remember sitting there and I, it's, it's all like a, a shock. 
And as I sort of walked out around, I walked out the factory and it was a sunny day. I remember crossing the road onto the Bonhomie Estate. I think to myself, I'd rather be in fucking prison than be like you stuck in there. Yeah. Like that, my life like that. I'd rather go away. At least they can feed me some food and sit in the cell, don't do nothing yeah. all day. And that was my logic. And from that day, I thought, you know, I ain't having that, ain't my life. Yeah. And I got up to all sorts of silly things growing up and that, you know, like you do. Um, what, sort, to, what sort of stuff are you doing growing up? Just um, stupid little things, little bits of thieving, nicking, selling drugs and shit, you know. Yeah. Um, nothing to a big level, but I'd always sell it. I mean, and yeah, sell bits of path and other yeah. bits and pieces you mucked about with. Yeah. But also, I got into um, my music around that sort of stage as well. I did have, I was always a dreamer. I always had like a, a, a some vision. Um, what sort of age were you when you get onto your music, roughly? I've been playing guitar since, because I, I was so bad at school. Mm. My dad, I used to love music. So I got to about 11 years old and there was a maths lesson. His geezer's breath stunk Mr. Humphreys and I forgot him. I used to hate him. We used him. to have a monk and we used to call him Deaf Breath. <laughs> Deaf Breath, that's just as him, mate. teacher. <laughs> this geezer He used to have the Cornish pasty shoes on. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was him, yeah. Like, like them things with socks on, as well, sandals with socks. I see a thing up for guitar, a guitar lesson. So I went into the guitar, class with three of my mates two of them got chucked out immediately and I could just pick it up pretty easy and the geezer said look you got something there come back so they I'm left-handed there weren't no left-handed guitars but I thought instead of getting math I was doing line right-handed I'd just get picking it up so I get used to it that way yeah. and um I ended up becoming a good guitarist and my dad's new he see that I could play the guitar he always get me on stage with things I was in a pub and he said like look when I when I got kept bunking school my school closed down when I was 14 or something it was a real bad school in Birmingham called Scott Lidget once that closed down they sent me to Blackheath and Bluecoats which was half a decent school but I couldn't handle it to me I have an ADHD I weren't allowed to speak in a class I've never seen anything like it it was like being in a prison so yeah. I couldn't take it I kept bunking school getting into trouble and in the end my dad said like you know you ain't got to go no more but you're going to work you ain't poncing off me you're going mm -hmm. to get a job it's what you want don't start moaning about it but I couldn't wait to go work so yeah. he sent me to work and he made me practice it every day. Like when I come in from work, I had to do an hour, an hour and a half down the guitar because he said, in them days, there was still the pub scene. And yeah. I it was always singers in pubs. So at least I knew you'd always get a living yeah. if you played the guitar. So every night I'd come in from work at four or five o'clock, do an hour, and then he let me out my pal. Yeah. So that was, the only, that was a good thing there. So I yeah. got into my music and I got into the bands. I was doing little bands throughout my life, 14, 15, little cover bands, Rolling Stones, all that sort of stuff. Got some bad pictures of me in waistcoats like Marty Pello, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look that long hair down there. Oh, terrible. But um, so yes, yeah, so I got into a band called Clear with all my pals, and then I got into another. I started another band called The Sound, which done quite good. So if you go on my YouTube, yeah. um, Robert Icy on YouTube, you know it's not much of a channel, but it's got all some stuff on there from my past. Yeah. You see like me hypnosis stuff, but you see some listen to some of my early music from '96, so '95, '95. So we used to tour all around London, yeah. like, with gigs up the West End and. You know, it was brilliant. It was brilliant days. Good times. Yeah, when we played in the 100 Club in 95, I think it was, 95, 96, they said it hadn't been a pack since the Buzzcocks played in the 80s. Mm. We packed it. Yeah. But then I got, we got bar from there, so they'd done all the bouncers, didn't they? I just, but I had, we took three mini bus, um, three buses loads of um, Bermondsey. All mere, wool, all mere, all mere wool. wool, yeah. So the bouncers got lemon. They just served every bounce, and the geese, they went to me. You ain't coming back. You know, it was a second gig. You don't have a plan here again. He went. I went. Well, we packed it more in the bus. Yeah. No, nah, you can not welcome here. Yeah. But the, you know, it's one of them things. I started starting to scurf them, and they just got. <laughs> just going back, I picked up. You said you had ADHD. Explain to me what ADHD is. Basically, the way I like to explain ADHD and and to go into go into detail about it is that most people say like you're hyperactive, which. You, not everyone has the hyperactive side. What does it actually stand for? Fucking hell, here we go. Um, I, um, Attention, 
deficit deficit hyperactive that's disorder yeah. so basically you're just saying a hyperactive kid no 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 you can't fix your focus the hyperactiveness everyone focuses on that it's not okay. a problem like you can get kids hyperactive send them to the gym and normally become good boxers or yeah. good athletes and yeah. dancers and yeah. things but you know the hyperactiveness does not in everyone but in i'd say 80 percent 90 percent wears off as you get older yeah so the hyperactiveness goes so it's always add yeah so let's just look at that really so really what they're talking about is focus they make you feel like you're stupid when you talk this stuff and you hear about it you make like to me i think of like like someone who's a div, you know, like you think that's how I used to see when I used to hear of ADHD, ADD. But it's so not true. The most successful people on the planet have it, yeah? yeah. So I explained to you when I was at school, I was in history and they spoke about the Second World War. I don't care about the Second yeah. World War. I don't got no Same. interest. So they'd be talking about it. And I, and I remember like getting my old man going mad because my reports were bad and everything. And I thought, right, this year I'm going to learn. And this is like an example. So I'll be listening to the teacher and I'll be, and he'll be talking about the Second World War. And I'm trying to learn, I'm really trying to focus. And he go, what did I say? I see. I go, I don't know, sir. I couldn't think. I couldn't remember one thing he just said. He go, that's it. Get out again. He always, you know, or I'll be getting, or I'll be mucking about banging my foot or something. Yeah. So then I'd, I'd get in trouble for it, not paying attention all the time. But if he spoke about Miami Dali in history, and it was saying that I love boxing and I love Miami mm. Dali's one, I'm a big fan. Mm. Then I can I can take it all in. Yeah. It's like I, I focus I can focus because I enjoy it. So what happens is I write five or ten pages and the teacher going to me, see if you put your mind to it, you could be something, mm. you could do this. And all my school reports are if I if he put his mind to it, he's more than capable. So that's what you'll see. Any of your kids, anyone listening, you've got kids are getting them school reports, have them checked because it's the one of the most common things for anyone, any kid with ADHD is that if you put your mind to it, you could do it. Yeah. yeah? So this is the reason because sometimes you can look really good and then sometimes you can't focus. But what, what they don't tell you is, which is so annoying, they say that you can't focus. It's a complete liar. We're more like specialists. We can only focus on things that we care about. Mm. So I can play guitar like Eric Clapton, Jim Hendrix. Mm. Yeah. Um, hold on, hold on. You can't play a guitar like them. I can play it like them. Can you? Yeah, of course I can. Yeah. Really? Like behind me head and solos and stuff. Right? I'll show you a video later. We're at a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm mustard on the guitar. Yeah, I've been okay. playing since I was 11. I'm really good on the guitar. Um, I play piano, drums, and all that sort of oh, stuff, amazing. and a few musical. But um, guitar's my main thing. And then golf, I played golf in single figures when I used to play. I'm not mm. as good now, I don't play, but you know you have mm. to practice that. Mm. I got into single figures of golf. Um, my therapy, um, I'm being a therapist, a psychotherapist around the world, because um, I, I believe it's because of my ADHD, because I love it and I found a passion. Yeah. What it is, we become like we're autistic, we sort of hyper-focus. Mm. They say we can't focus, when you find something you enjoy, you've got a, an emotional connection yeah. to, Boom, there's no one. So actually, so it complete, like, we're better focuses than the average person, yeah. but only on things that we care about. How do I find out if I've got ADHD? Um, there's some tests you the, can do. Because some of the stuff you're mentioning here is, is bringing up but you're, some emotion no, right no, now. No effect, well, it ain't be offensive, but seeing your, your building here and your work, how you put it all together and, you know, the eventful entrepreneur podcast and everything that you do, and what you were telling me earlier that, you know, you've got very big pictures and you let people chunk down into mm. detail. All that sort of stuff gives you, most high achievers are. Like if you look at probably Wayne Lineker, um, when I've worked with him, Dapper Lars, Aaron Kraskell, um, Dame Kelly Holmes only passed two exams at school because mm. she was she had to do that to get in the army. So mm. she only passed two. Mm. So if you start looking at the best athletes in the world, yeah, most of the best boxers, they don't know they've got it, mm. um, but they have. Like, And a lot of them do know they have. If you look at studies, I mean, the, the great inventors, they all had like autistic traits, ADHD, Einstein, um, Tesla. They, mm. all had, they all had these traits yeah. because they hyper-focused and found passion in what they do. Yeah. And then you get very creative. So 
Because if I'm, not in, if I'm not interested in something, my mind just completely, completely switches off. off. Nothing, yeah. no interest from a school kid, even to now as an adult. But if I find interest in something, I am all in. I know. It's, it's, it's mad. I can come, How do you get I, tested, I come across... Though? Well, it's very difficult. Do you have to go somewhere? How did you know as a kid? Was it was it back I, then in the 80s and 90s to be tested? I'm riddled or? with it, really. It's in my okay. toenails, if you okay, think about it. Yeah. But I look at my life. I'll tell you how I knew. My cousin, yeah. My, I was around my cousin's ass. I was 37 years old. Yeah. I was around my cousin's ass. And um, the little boy, Joe, he's a lovely kid, but he's a little bit cheeky. Like, but he's a nice... Like, I don't, Steve, we, we can be cheeky, but we always got that. Yeah. We can pull off some bad language, but it always comes across yeah. unoffensive, if yeah. you like, yeah. But Joe's like, he calls his mum, Nick, all right, Nick, he goes and all that, and he thinks a little wind up, but he's always chirpy. And she went, he's got ADHD, Rob. And since he took his concerta, he's gone from underachieving up three classes in three months. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And he passed all his exams, he left school and think. And I was thinking, ADHD, Joe. And I'm, I'm looking at him, a lovely kid, funny. And I'm thinking, I was a proper little. Yeah. You know, terror was thinking I was smashing windows, jumping in and nick mm. cars, you know, no fear and all that sort of stuff. I was, I was thinking, how's he got what's wrong? I was thinking, what is it then, Nick? I didn't really understand it properly. Because you know, you just put it I put it down to like similar to autism. I didn't really look into it. Just give me this leaflet, you can read that. I sat and read it and it was like someone ripped me mm. and how I function on a bit of paper and mm. I looked, I went, Nick, do you think I've got it? She mm. went, not fucking much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? what? Are there certain yeah. levels? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely in the autistic yeah. spectrum. I do go into that thing, I do. And then I went, wow, and, I, and that was it, right? It's it, me. Guess what's happened? I've got an emotional connection to it. Okay. What do you think I've done that night? I sat on YouTube at four in the morning. I watched Studying. documentary, yeah. okay. everything. I can't really read and like you said earlier, read and take information on, yeah. but if I can watch and listen, yeah. and I'm interested, I just absorb it. Yeah. By eight o'clock in the morning, I was like a genius on eight days. Doing my doctors, he tried to me. No, it's okay. Um, you know, you're an adult now. My people grow out of here. I went, what are you talking about? And I ripped into him. Yeah. Right, give it to him. So he give me. A, he got me to do it. He said, all right, I'll refer you. And, he refer and before you can go, I think there's only two places in the country where they can diagnose you. Maudsley is one of Maudsley Hospital. Where's that? Um, South London, okay. sort of. I can't think of the area. Okay. Um, I think it's sort of like Campbellish mm, Ways. Okay. Way. Before I went there, they sent me to an intermediate place and place area for this. This geezer, I'd love to meet him again. And he sat there for like an hour with me. My sister come with me. And this geezer got me angry like that. He could get me angry. He was mucking about my emotions. I think, is he winding me up? Mm. And he go, feel that format. I'm feeling the format. It's like talking to my sister. And, it, and I couldn't feel the format because he's talking about me. Yeah. So my interest was pinged up. So he knew what he was doing. And he could see me getting a thing. My sister getting a bit um, agitated. And my sister says something. And I sort of stopped. Like, what are you on about? And I've, mm. I got a bit angry with something. And he went, I don't want to put the form down. That's right. What are you doing? I think, is he fucking winding me up? Yeah. What? And he was, he was the yeah. idea of it. Yeah. And he went, so his report was so thorough. When I got to Morsley, the geezer said, I ain't got, to, they normally do a second test. He went, it's just so thorough. You've 100% got ADHD, boom, boom, boom. But I truly believe more people have it than they don't. Everyone yeah. looks at it as an illness or or something. It ain't, it's just a way of thinking. Yeah. Um, if you look at the pathfinders of all time, you're Christopher Columbus, all these people, the great people, that you know, the, the inventors, the pathfinders, they're all looking back now and, and their studies are showing that they had ADHD. Mm. So the entrepreneurs, you normally find, and you know, the top athletes, people that hyper focus on something yeah. to a to obsession. Now, like I got a Conor McGregor quote, I love it. Mm. Um, there's no such thing as talent. There's only obsession. Yeah. The person more obsessed with what he does well, becomes the best at what he does. Agree. And if that in an ADHD trait, I don't know what agree. it is. So we're hyper focuses, but we're specialists. We can't put a little bit of focus on maths, a little focus on English, a little yeah. focus on science. We can't do that. Yeah. We have to find something we like, and then boom, we Be become a special. Yeah, we become a success. Yeah. Hyper focusing. So, what is that? Was that the start of your journey? You thought, hold on, I want to, I want to grab this. What the ADHD? In, the ADHD and the the hypnotherapy. And no, I was already going by then. What was it? So, what age were you when you were thinking? 
when you started that business and to see that you've grown I, so I, well over the years. I got into this, right? And again, everyone thinks I'm kind of this heroic story, like some hippie story that I'm a loving, meditating hippie. Well, as you can tell my voice, I ain't, right? It's far from what I was, yeah? But I was working in sales, yeah? And I never had nothing as a kid, like really, compared to my mother. Because I remember my neighbours going, oh, I went to Spain, and she showed me pictures, like on the old Polaroid pictures, and I used to think, oh, look at that see-through water. And my dad went, yeah, don't worry, wait your 10, I'll take you to Disneyland. We go to America, I'm about all that. But it was just these moodies to shut me up, yeah. And when I got the 10, obviously, I never went no, never went nowhere. Bogged in the regions. It was my lot. He was mate's caravan for a freebie. That was me, that was me, that was me lot. And then um, I remember when my kids, when I had my boy Bob and he was growing up, I thought, right, as soon as he was five, I took him to Paris Disneyland. It's like a thing. I wanted kids to have everything you do. You want to have everything the you things that you So I got a motorbike and some of that's a regret because I know why my dad never got me one now because yeah. they're so dangerous. But, you know, I think little mistakes I made, but I tried to give him everything I never had. I took him to Paris Disneyland and when he was 10, 11, his 11th birthday in Florida, I made sure I took him out to Florida and done all them wonderful things. And my ADHD's kicked in. What was the question? See what I mean? I've gone. I've, I've just forgotten. I've gone as well. It's a fly, like a dog of a fly. Mate, I know who <laughs> You've got it, Dodge. You've got it. You understand? Right, right. So, where did it? Where did it all start? Where did it all start? No, so, where did your business? So that's where did your say, business start? That's so, right. Yeah. So that's what I was saying. So this is why I got into it. This. Sorry. That's, thank you very much. So, well, the idea of this story was that I was talking about. So when I was in sales. And I used to get my bonuses. I worked for the Flemish, and I did buy the Germans. You know, I never went, I never went to school. So I made out on a sales thing that I had went, I went to my cousin, do us a CV, give us a couple of exams and that. He put it all down. I went up there, blagged it, got the job, worked for the Flemish, um, got it done by the Germans two years later. But I didn't realize I was learning psychology at the time. I was really into the sales techniques. I was like obsessed by it. Yeah. So I'd like Zig Ziglar. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's mm. an old salesman, like a Texan. Mm. I'd listen to him and people like on cassette tape in the motor. Yeah. Cassette tapes, and I'll be listening to them and brainwashing myself out, just listening to the, yeah. the way of people thinking. I didn't know it was a psychology, yeah. I was obviously into it, and I've become really good. I love sales, I love working with people, I love being, you know, and, the, and it was good for me because I was business sales from going one place to the other. So with ADHD, I was never bored, yeah. I loved it. Um, so I've done really well with that, and then I got it done by the Germans. and. There was a, a fellow headhunted head by the Germans. Yeah, Ger the Germans who was a, a similar company. They were oh, best okay. in the. Okay. And it was weird. I used to sit and visualize working from at the shows in Stuttgart. I don't thought I love to work with them. They had the nice suits. They were like all their salesmen had the better, no, I mean all the better cars. I had a Passat. Yeah. They were like Mercs and BMs yeah. and that. So, yeah, and I said, well, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but yeah. I used to see myself on their store. One day I get a call saying, "Would you like a job interview? I've heard about, but heard about you. Your name keeps coming up." I went, "Yeah." Anyway, cut it short. Got a job, and. When I was working with the, the, the CEO, Tilo Vineman, he really blew me away. He used to, he, the way he'd work with people, but he was, he learned NLP. He said, well, my dad give me the Neuro-linguistic programming. That's the one. He I, learned I did that at 18. Yeah, it's brilliant. My mum woke me on this course at 18. I thought, what's this? I don't want to do all this. Did you enjoy it? Best thing it. ever, innit? Loved it. That was like, God knows how many years ago. It's been going since the 70s. It's just, but, but just, Richard it just allows you to set your goals and achieve and, do, yeah. do, do, you know, simple stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and get Powerful. your emotional intelligence around it. I, I love NLP. Yeah. So when he started, they, when I, he'd be like Darren Brown. I'd be in a meeting and they'd be like, I'd turn to my biggest client in the UK when he flew over and he'd do something. I don't know what he, I do know what he does now, but he'd do a little, he'd do something. And I'd see all three of them sort of lean forward like this. Um, all at once. I think, what's he doing? I, I knew he's up to stuff, but I never knew it was like watching Darren Brown. I know he's up to stuff because he taught, he's taught yeah. me little techniques on the road. And I'd learn and learn as I went on. I got really, I really loved the, it. It fascinated me, like yeah. human behavior and stuff. Yeah. And and I went, well, I want to learn it. So I found a course. He looked through them for me. I said, I want to let 
so he said this is a good one he spoke to a few um but i, he'd, I say he talked to his directors exactly the same like what they, you know yeah. the, the, the woman that cleaned the toilet yeah. there's no difference and, perfect and i thought i knew him but actually time mm. i left there I never knew him. He could be. He could relate to anyone. He could mm. be who you want him to be. He mm. didn't care. So I didn't really know him. He's so good with a mind. And he, he, out of everyone I've studied with, even the people that invented it, he's probably the best person mm. because he was applying it to his company that he took on a, I think like a two million pound turnover. Now it's got nearly hundred and fifty million a year turnover mm. at the minute. Mm. Yeah. And to watch him work with people was amazing, and the strategies and that. So I went and done this diploma course in the Cotswold in the Cotswolds and I'm um, being dyslexic, obviously I haven't been in school since I was 14, I sat at the back of the class and um, I remember sitting in there feeling really anxious at, you know, all middle class people, we don't get many working class people in these sort of courses. Yeah. Um, Did but, you yeah, feel uncomfortable going bad, back into education then? Badly, yeah. badly, oh mate, insecure like yeah. a kid, I might as well put me as a dunce hat on, that's yeah. how I felt sitting on my fold, what am I doing here? Yeah. But the good thing is with NLP, you have to learn, you can't, like, there's all these muggy courses online, people give up. Don't do nothing online. You've got to do it with people. You're not yeah. going to learn unless you experience it yourself yeah. and you do it with other people. Yeah. That's the truth. So with NLP, that is, yeah, I feel really, you've really got to be with other people. Mm. So the NLP, so anyway, at the end of it, it was this, uh, Robert Diltz, someone who took NLP into another level. Um, he's really good, Robert Diltz, um, really academic side of it. But he he done a model of good spellers. And they've done this little, I won't go into it, it's so like an NLP model of spelling. I think I was stupid at the end of it. And it taught me how to spell procrastination um, forward and backwards, yeah, within three minutes. I thought, I'd never be able to do that. Mm. And they said, I had to write down a bit of paper, put the lines in, was it capitals, boom, boom, boom. Anyway, cut it short, I've done it. And the minute I've done it, I learned the technique unconsciously what the mind does for good spellers does yeah. and what a bad speller does. So, so when I spell, I see like R, O, B, each letter up here in front of me. Yeah. A good speller sees the word sort of up on that wall in front of them. They mm. can see the whole word, they might, or they might see a section of the word at mm. a time. And so I was training my brain to do that. Mm. But once I'd done that, this technique, and I learned it, I got all emotional, like happy. And then mm. I just went into a rage. Like I felt mm. like it was a really weird experience. It'd been like 10 seconds. I went all happy that like I'd just done it. Then I felt angry, you know, like all the teachers that said, you're never mad yeah. and I think you're thick, you're stupid yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And then I sort of mellowed down. But after that, just that weekend, um, a little diploma course, it changed my life. And I thought, right. This is what I wanted to do, but I only got into it. It's what the idea was, what I was trying to say is, I only got into it to manipulate people for more money. Mm. There weren't no, like, no heroic story. I'm going to mm. NLP. I thought, I want to be like him. I want to mm. be rich. I want my kids to have everything. So I got into it to make better sales. Mm. There weren't no other reason. But well, you've, after gone that in, course, you've gone in it to make better of yourself. Yeah. I and did. maybe a breakthrough of looking back it, and going, I was thick or stupid school and all the teachers used to pickle me because I was like that and I was disruptive, all of a sudden you've had a massive breakthrough. 100% dodge. That's mm. exactly what happened to me. I get I, I, it. And it was quite emotional. And after that, there's other stuff you'd learn. And it was, I was just hooked. And I'd be coming home, sitting on, this is how my ADHD kicked in then. So I come home and I booked straight on all the practitioner courses. I've done trainer, trainer. So I can teach NLP now. I, I just was, and I trained other courses with like Robert Diltz, um, Stephen Gilligan, who was the last person, hypnotherapist to train under, Milton Erickson, who was one of the guys that NLP even studied with the Ericksonian language and all that. So I went and studied with ev everyone, Banla, anyone mm. I could find. Mm. Become obsessed. And I'd be sitting up, I'd be coming home from work. I'd sit up on YouTube watching some of the models that I've already learned. Mm. And it'd be like four in the morning. I'd be four in the kitchen. I've got, I've got to go to work in the morning. I thought, yeah. oh, just one more. Yeah. Then I'd fall asleep watching them. And I'd come home the next day for having an early night night. Yeah. I'd straighten myself up again yeah. to three, four o'clock in the morning. Isn't that a lovely feeling? Yeah. When you find something yourself, you isn't it a yeah. lovely feeling? Go, I want to learn more, learn yeah. more, learn you, more. Because I never learned as a kid. 
everything you're talking about was really quite triggering because I found it really hard to learn as a kid. Yeah. Really hard. So you know, I, I, I saw a teacher uh, last month. I haven't seen him in 20 years. He went, Dodge, you getting on? Da, da. He told a story. He said, oh, you're a good sportsman back at school. But all the teachers in, the, in their coffee break would all say, oh, that would always either be in prison or is really successful. He told me that. <laughs> I was like... Well, glad it was the latter. They said all the teachers talk about it. Yeah. Now, yeah, amazing. But it shows you how they can pick up on yeah. the hyperfocusing with unconsciously without even knowing. Yeah. So yeah. So once I got into it, I've become obsessed. And then, and I worked with Robert Diltz one day. And I was lucky enough to get a little bit of time with, on me on my own with Robert Diltz, and and he done a, he done something. He done this. He was just a little question for He kept breaking me down. What do you want? What do you want? And I want loads of money. What do you want? A big ass. I want my kids to go to private school first who was, thing. Who is that? Oh, Harry Enfield. Harry Enfield. Loads, loads of money. money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant, wasn't he? Fair quality. <laughs> so he asked you. He said, yeah. "What are you wanting what, out of life?" Goal, You're like, yeah. "I want to earn a good pound note. I want private school with the kids. I want a nice motor, a nice house." Yeah, that's it. I went on okay. and then he, but then he kept stripping me back. And then yeah. what else would you want? Like Rolex. Then what would you have? You have the Rolex. And he, he honestly, it went on and on. I said, "Well, I'll probably." He didn't. I was thinking, "Is he fucking winding me up? He's getting on my nerves." Yeah. I was thinking, "Well, a nice in calendar, then a nice in Florence." <laughs> but I was just going like, <laughs> until the end, he stripped my brain down. So what? Nothing else. But now, what would make you happy? Yeah, I think that was the question actually. What would make you happy? Yeah, right? and he got me down to it. When once he stripped all the material things back, it was the hardest question I sat there. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, what would make you smile now?" He was going to me, and I was, and it was right. I really go like in deep with myself, and I went, I like having making other people smile. I thought, what makes me happy is when you know, I take the mick out myself to see you smile. Yeah. You know, I've come out of nightclubs when I've had no money and give the only person my last yeah. um, ten on that a walk home from you know, back yeah. to Bermondsey. I've done that loads of times, and I've I thought like making other people happy. That's truly, yeah. and that was when like the penny dropped and when I sort of made the decision right. And I had instantaneously, it was like a light bulb moment. I was having visions of all the things I wanted to do. Yeah. And becoming this big therapist, and and I sort of see myself as the next Paul McKenna. Over the next weeks, I thought, right, that's so I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the next Paul McKenna. I'm gonna take over the mental health industry, but I ain't gonna change. This is a thing I thought. I swear, you know, I swear. This is how I talk. This is where I'm from. I ain't changing for no one. Yeah. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm a Cockney boy, yeah. and I'm not gonna change that to please anyone because it's a mental health, you know, a, a, a middle class yeah. sort of era. From now, I'm starting to think to myself. But that's so, how you've. But that's how you've created your niche. And yeah. that's why all these different celebrities go to you because you are who you are. Right, yeah. And they know your history, they know your past and where yeah. you come from, what you've done and what you've achieved. That's it. And I've been through all the, all the hardships myself. Mm. Anx you know, anxiety is, you get anxiety of ADHD anyway, which is different than the mental health sort of do side. You, do you have anxiety? I get anxiety for the ADHD, which is different. So this is where people confuse anxieties and things. What is, what, what is anxiety to you? Anxiety, the unconscious process, what I look at, I don't care about what the pro, what, what the, um, content is i don't care what you the way someone what they're, 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 the 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 reasons why what's going on but this is what it is unconsciously it's taking a bad past experience that you've learned from yourself or others yeah or you've seen someone die of cancer or you've um something imagine yourself you can imagine yourself dying of cancer it yeah. could be anything yeah could even be something you've read mm. and then you take that experience of the learning and then you throw it in the future and you see it happening again as another shape or form mm. so, so normally it's if something happens to you like if you've got mugged on a bus next time you see a bus you might get anxious because yeah. you think I'm like, your unconscious goes whoa yeah there's danger there yeah you know in the old days it would have been a lion tiger or a bear but now yeah. they, now we use we find you know objects places yeah. and environments so you take a bad past experience and you throw it into the future. Mm. That's what anxiety is. Okay. That ain't creating a future fault. That's creating a recreation of the, of the past. So if you mm. see someone die of cancer, like, I don't know, like um, a lot of emetophobia, 
emetophobia is the fear of being sick. Mm. The, a lot of my clients ain't even, they want even them that were sick, they watch their little brother be sick. Mm. So they sort of imagine that and then see themselves being sick mm. and now they've got this phobia of being sick. So mm. now they won't eat certain things, they're washing their hands all the time. So can anxiety uh, get worse and worse as the years go on? Yeah, same as phobias, 100%. Unless you get it treated right. But I don't like the way psychotherapy and CBT deal with it. Now, don't get me wrong, psychotherapy is amazing for understanding reasons why, like the triggers and if-, if Tell if, me what psychotherapy is. Psychotherapy is like, you know, like your Freud stuff. So they'll look at the they'll look at the content. Why are you like this, Dodge? Mm. What happened to you? Mm. I mean, if it wasn't for your, if it wasn't for your mum neglecting you as a child yeah. and your ex-girlfriend doing this yeah. and your brother doing that, yeah. you wouldn't be so mucked up. And yeah. you walk out of everything, now oh, she's good, that psychotherapy. It's like, yeah. I understand why I'm so mucked up. It weren't for that, that, that. And people feel good about the reasons why. They know why they're so messed up. Yeah. But that, to me, that means you can just blame everyone else, put it on outside mm. of you. Yeah, I don't really care where it comes from. But I'm about not, the change. But do you not think as a, a psychotherapist, they look back into your past, they see a trauma that happened at six, Don't eight exactly. or ten cleared it up to then allow you to move forward in life no, but it, there's a place for that right no let me be wrong they don't clear it up though like I'm saying some people they do some talking therapy some people can make sense of stuff yeah. and it does allow you to put it a bit and stop thinking about it but the problem is you're thinking about it in the first place yeah but they don't the clearing up bit they're not good at yeah so it ain't always, this is the Freud nonsense, right? Everything comes from your childhood. No, it don't. Um, you could be 57 years old, get up a ladder, nearly fell off, grab on, now you've got the fear of heights. Mm. So that's not true. Mm. Like, and we, even psychotherapists know that now. You know, we can get, it's called like a, a neuroassociation. We mm. make them all the time. Everything we do is mm. neuroassociations. So what they do is they, it is good to understand, yeah, and that can help some people. But overall, if you look at the anxiety and the depression rate in the UK, it's through yeah. the roof because they're not helping us. I'll tell you why. Yeah. If you keep focusing on the cause of the problem, yeah, what happens is you bring back the memory of that experience. In that memory, you'll have a load of neurocircuitry that will release mm. from that memory mm. into the same emotions you felt in the experience. Mm. Now, the human mind can only think how you feel. There's never been a human being in two million years while experiencing the emotion of sadness who can make a happy thought. Yeah. If you feel sad, you have to make sad thoughts. If you feel anxious, your brain checks you in the body and goes, Dodge, you're feeling anxious right now. You're going to make some more correspondent thoughts. I'm, going, I'm, I'm getting ill, I'm going to die, or someone's cheating on me, or whatever mm. the anxiety is, mm. yeah? You have to make correspondent thoughts. If you feel confident, mm. then you have to make confident thoughts. Mm. So the more you put your focus on the cause, mm. the more you're firing off the emotional experience of the trauma, mm. the more you're now practicing that emotion living every day, you're going to make more correspondent thoughts. So you mm. can't focus on anxiety and become well. Mm. You can't focus on food and become thin. You can't mm. focus on... Um, drugs and become clean, yeah. it's impossible. Yeah. You have to focus on what you want, not what you don't want. Now, focusing on what you want is more important mm. than positivity. Because if I said to you, Dodge, I'm gonna fail my exam Wednesday, you go, Rob, you're a therapist, come on, mate, yeah. be more positive. I go, all right, Dodge, I'm positive I'm gonna fail my exam Wednesday. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it ain't about being positive, it's about where you're putting your focus, in what direction. I should have been focusing on passing the exam, long before mm. the, exam, the exam come up. Does that make sense? Why do you think there's so much anxiety in the UK post lockdown of people- Academic not, intelligence. Of people not wanting to leave their houses to go and see people again? I'm seeing a lot of that. Like well, people are now going back into real life. Well, like, yeah, COVID, it's like PTSD in it. So you get your brain gets trained with habits. You make neuro, you build neuro pathways after four weeks of making the same thoughts. It becomes an unconscious program, and you start thinking that new way. So we can train our brain to think new ways within within four weeks, easy, yeah. Mm. But people, it's not as easy for people to do it to stick to the process of mm. allowing it. But COVID brain made us go into that way. Mm. So with the COVID 
your question about people leaving the house, I said COVID's got a lot to do with it. Um, two, academic intelligence is a big is a big problem. Yeah, because it's not a problem. It's great. You know, you want to be a doctor, a nurse, whatever you want to be, a dentist, and um, for business, for work, academic intelligence is great. I wish I was more academic. My life would be a lot easier. Mm. So I'm not running it down. But what I'm saying is the whole direction of thought. If you're academic, mm. you're 100% focused on more what could go wrong, what you what you got to mm. what you got to fix. You got to you know be ahead of the problem. Mm. So you're forever looking for problems to fix. Mm. Now they might do the people do well uh, working for somebody, and but they're in their life they be they'll live more in fear because mm. you're always looking. You know, the schooling system at seven years old, you know we start we, when we were at school. Um, you know, don't make mistakes. This is it. Stop. You know, it's how not to make mistakes. That's mm. really the overall thought process. Mm. So give me a seven-year-old kid. What do you want to be? I'll be a footballer. I want to mm. be a, you know, I want to be a spaceman, whatever. Mm. Give me an 18-year-old kid when I leave school. What do you want to be? I, I don't know. They're riddled with fear to make a choice. Yeah. And they start looking for the, they look for what they're best at academically to yeah. make more money. Yeah. There's no passion. There's no love in what they're going to yeah. do. And they get, you know, it's, it's scary. I think what's really. more scary is when they leave school, 18, they've done history, chemistry and physics. They're going to do a degree in history. Yeah. What, what for? What for? A four-year degree, yeah. a three-year degree, and be fifty grand in debt to yeah. do history, to come what? out, and start your business life, yeah. be fifty grand in debt, and looking at a fossil. Look at what, and then you, and then I think it's like eighty-seven percent of people leave university with their degree they've got and don't go into what they've just studied. Hundred, yeah, exactly, because it makes it makes no sense. Like business degrees, how many people get a business degree and work as a PA? Yeah, you can't you can't learn business in school by a teacher yeah. who never left school. Yeah. Let's get it right. Teachers don't even leave school. How can they teach you how to be successful in business? And all the business people teaching you at university and school, they're all skint anyway. Yeah, because they're the teachers. They have done the business to never left yeah. school. Yeah. Well, look at them. What they do, they got, it's what I said to my boy. My boy's, he's 16 now. But when he was about 12, I said, listen, I said, have you ever pick, listened to one of your teachers to pick a career? I said, I've never read about beat you up and down this street. I said, mm. I'm telling you now. I said, they're thick as thing. Yeah. He went, yeah, Dad, like, he went to go to like a grammar stream, he did. He went, Dad, how can I be thick at a teacher? I said, well, listen, don't get me wrong. They're not thick, thick. I said, your English teacher's a genius at English. Yeah. I said, rape his brain, get as much information, yeah. I extract it, yeah? The maths teacher, get as much as you can. Yeah. Listen to him in his class. You, you listen to him. I don't expect you to get in trouble. I expect you to listen and learn. But apart from that, when you step outside the classroom, he ain't, he's a mug. Mm. I said, because... He's a genius at English, he's a genius at math, but what has he done in his life for you to take knowledge note of him? I said, he went to school he went to school to his sixteen, he went to sixth form of college, he went to university, he banged himself up into fifty bags mm, worth of debt. Mm. Now he starts work, eighteen grand a year or something mm. stupid, at the age of 24, 25, mm. and in, in a school. And now he's got to work into his 30s to pay off the 50 grand mm. that he learned on his low wages. He gets six weeks holiday. 30s? He'll be going to his 60s these days. Maybe his 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, and then he goes into his, um, and then he gets six weeks holiday a year. But what's he going to do with that? He can't go away. He can't afford to go anywhere. He's got wife and kids now. What's he going to mm. do? Now they're in credit card debt because they need to get some credit cards while yeah. they're spending money on the. I said, and the principal, I think the head the circle, teacher, maximum earns 35 to 40 grand a year. Mm. Now, I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not running down any school teachers. I had school teachers that that's all they wanted to be. My, my um, a friend I grew up with, she, since we was at primary school, she wanted to be a teacher. Mm. She's living in alignment with herself. She's blessed. She loves every minute of her life. That's 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 wealthy. Yeah? So it's not about the money. But a lot of teachers that I talk to, I go, why did you become a teacher? Do you know what they say? Well, you know, I was good at maths. I thought, well, you know, I might have to be a teacher, mm. maths teacher. That was it. Because mm. they were good at maths. There was no creativity, nothing that they could take it any further. So they put themselves into a job they don't even really like. They mm. don't like it. And you know the teachers that don't like their mm. job. You know it's, you know at school. Mm. The teachers that love their job, you end up loving them. Even yeah. if they're strict, you respect them. Yeah. You know, so 
Where did your, where did you, what, how old were you when you started the un, unconscious mind therapy? It's a model of my own, <coughs> my own learnings from all the different therapies I've learned. Um, Roughly how old were you? You 45 now? 45, I'd say about 10 years. I, I've created my years. own my own style yeah. of stuff. So all the What's stuff- What's that journey been like for you? Yeah, it weren't, it weren't easy. It weren't, like, I was working, I was getting about 80 grand a year working for the Germans. I was getting nice bonuses. I had a company card, fuel paid for, I had a lovely life. And I got to a point when I was learning through the NLP and things like this, and I thought, I don't, I don't want to do this. I got, as, I mean, I smashed the UK. I took the other, the Flemish out to leave the country. I took all their work. Um, I got as far as I, unless I learned German, I could go to Germany. I, I couldn't do any further. And I've, I remember thinking like, I feel like I'm a, a fraud because I was working on the side doing this stuff now, teaching people and doing the mind. I'm thinking, well, I ain't doing it myself. I'm not visualizing who I want to be. I'm not actually mm. making the moves. And I did, I left the company, went on my own as a therapist, right? Which was a good move and a bad move. So when, my you, dad went so to me, when you left the company, that must have been a big move. You're on 80 grand, you've got a yeah, car, massive you're a salesman, you've got a Christian number, you're good at what you do. What was that thought process of you going, right, I need to set myself free and become an entrepreneur and set something up myself? My, my ADHD, I, I have a focus in that. I thought I can't, I can't be a, now when you're from, I think from when the streets, like you think, right, you're all in if you're gonna do something, it's like, but it wasn't a, a clever move, don't get me wrong. I left, I left myself in trouble. I split out on my ex at the time. Um, I was up in mum's ass, I had a raver, I had some trouble, I had to go and sit my sister's sofa. I had nothing at one point. My dad went to me, well, you're being mad. I mean, my man going, you've got to be off, you're ready leaving that job. What's the matter with you, you div? He went, yeah. he went, stayed, I said, I can't, I can't keep doing something. I feel like it was really eating me up inside because it was just emotionally killing me. And um, I knew what I wanted to do. But at this time, I couldn't work. And I was on my sister's sofa. So I remember staying there having nothing, thinking, you know, what have I done? I should go back into sales. I even got to be, and I remember laying there one night. One, the day before, my little nephews got up for school. I remember looking at me at six and seven in the morning. I remember feeling like a scumbag that I'm laying on the sofa and my sister's kids are looking at me. Yeah. And that night, I remember laying there and about two in the morning, I was proper depressed. It was like everywhere I looked, it was Christmas coming up, it was November. I couldn't get, I couldn't get um, my kids' presents. I was worrying about that. Um, and no work was coming in. And, I, and everywhere I looked, it was pain, pain, pain. I couldn't see any way out, nothing I could do. And I sat there that night and I had a tear running down my face. And I thought, I could go to sleep and not wake up. I'll never kill myself. Mm. I ain't got a bottle. But I did think if I could just go to sleep and not wake up, I'll take it. And I want them needles or whatever. Mm. And a tear felt really low. And all of a sudden this voice popped up. It used the, it went, what are you doing? You it used the bad mm. words, yes. When we see. It went, like, it went like, you know, you teach people this stuff, do it yourself, what are you doing? So I sort of wiped my tear away and I laid there. And I closed my eyes and I thought, right. No, Paul McKenna, but when I started visualizing what I wanted, yeah. And I got up the next day, sort my website back up, sorted out when I fronted all the drama I'd, I'd ran me at the time, um, and cracked on. And I'm not going to detail about that, but yeah, it's a lot of drama I sort out. And I thought, what can get any worse? I wanted to kill myself last night. I didn't want to be here last night. So what can be worse than this? So, so went out, fronted the world, got on with it, and. Um, I had this old BMW, my mate let me take on tick and um, M3, old old banger one night. I remember driving it around and um, I remember seeing Range Rovers. I thought, right, I'm going to get one in one day. I thought, right, I'm going to, every time I see one, I'm going to lift the seat up and I'm imagine what it feels like to be looking down. So every time I see a black Range Rover, I'd put the electric seat back up again and I was practice, imagine what it feels like to be looking in that. So I was practicing like the energy side of it, mm. the emotional side, the experience of it. So 
And it's mad how many Range Rovers you see when your RS system yeah. kicks and I'm like, I'm down and up and down and up. So I've my head in. But cutting the story, trying to rush it through, Fio, what happened is from that day, I started visualising, never looked back, yeah? So I'd, I'd done a story with someone, a press story, and it was getting around that sort of time. So anyway, I started getting enough clients in. And as I got enough clients, I got just enough to get my kids a PlayStation and Xbox, like, yeah? So I got my kids their presents. I was like, sweat up. And I said to my sister, look, I've got nothing for the nephews, but I'll get them in January. She went, no, don't worry. I know where you're at. Anyway, by February, a story went out, a press story. A woman, a girl helped, I think it was a weight loss one, into um, a few newspapers. And boom, 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 I'm getting calls. It started lighting up, yeah? And I'm visualising every day. I'm practising on myself, moving forward. Um, goes out. Get another story goes out. March. Now this story, a woman had petrol poured over in an armed robbery um, and she hadn't left the house for 15 years. She'd go to the shop across the road, that was about it. Helped her out, changed her life around, boom. That one went out massively, helped her like before the Christmas. Um, now my phone's lit up, celebrities, agents, some agents are coming to me for different bits and pieces. Um, and then a celebrity spoke about me in April, beginning of April, and it was like, I remember I was with a client in my practice and I looked at my emails like this and I had like nearly 3,000 emails. I was like, I thought mm. I'd been act straight mm. away. Like, how have I got 3,000 emails? Mm. So I've opened it up, the hypnotist man, the hypnotist man, the hypnotist mm. man on my website. I'm flicking through it, flicking through it, inundated, right? And then I've got messages from my mates going, oh, someone's so spoke about you on telly, this other celebrity mm. mentioned you on GMTV, had a big chat about you. And all of a sudden, overnight, I was booked up um, I was booked up for eight months. Mm. I was doing three clients a day and I'd, I'd do like three hour sessions, quite um, quite expensive for most various. So I was banged out five five days a week for up, you know, up to up, yeah, eight months away. And people were still ringing up and waiting for me. Mm. To finish I couldn't believe what was going on. So I was like, take a PA on some dyslexic anything to yeah. organize. I couldn't organize that. So they're organizing my schedule, going through all the emails, getting people booked in. Um, and by June, I pulled up my mum's house. I bought a Range Rover off of um, an agent, a friend of mine who's a celebrity agent. And it was the Vogue with all the tellies in the back, six yeah, DVD no. changer, the things come down. I remember pulling up outside my mum's house and I went to go in and I thought, stop a minute. And it was the first time I looked back since November. I thought, wow, hang on a minute, what's happened here? And I didn't look backwards until that day. And I sit in the car for five minutes. For how's this happened? Yeah. I had draw a load of cash. I had a Range Rover. I bought yeah. that for eight months. Celebrities ringing me about, and I was in national newspapers. And them stories all started going in. Like they was, I was like in every magazine. One of the stories just went magazines. I was just getting buzzes. Phone was going from the agent, from the press agent, saying they've took it. Metro's took it. Daily Mail took it. Man Lines took it. Sun's took it. And it was just like mm. wow. One minute I didn't want to be, and like seven months later, yeah. I'm flying. It just shows you once you make that switch. But yeah. so. When it comes to leaving that job, and I thought it was the worst thing I'd done, if I didn't go in that trenches, yeah. I don't think I would have had that focus. So, mm. so it wasn't the worst thing I'd done, but I had to go really into mm. that deep, dark place before I could really get that mm. vision, like obsessive vision to, to, to do how, what I wanted to and do. And how does it work for the listeners if they wanted to reach out to you? How does it, how does it actually work to say, right, I want to do three hours with you, Rob. I've got, a, I've got anxiety problems. Or what sort of problems will people reach out for you for? Anxiety is massive at the moment. Yeah. And I'm getting so many, I've, see lockdown, where there's bad, there's good, where there's yeah. good, there's bad. I've had so many men since, especially since the second lockdown. I, I used to get, if I've got one or two a month, it was always women, yeah? Since lockdown, 
it has worked. Men are speaking out in my experience. I'm getting so many more male clients for coke, cannabis, anxiety, low self-worth, you know, um, business moving forward, you know, the insecurities of the fear of failure, which is the schooling thing. Um, I'm getting so much of that phobias, um, agoraphobia the other day. I got a little video of a guy getting in a lift, fear of flying. Any, like anything to do with that sort of trauma side, that's what I, I, get. I get. I'm working with athletes. I've took Elton ranking, go to WBA, IBO world title holder. Um, I've got some other fighters I'm working with at the minute. Um, yeah, all sorts. There's all sorts. Do you do you find it easier? Do you think going through what you've gone through in those first thirty years of your life, and maybe the traumas and the upbringing and everything else, do you find it easy now just to speak to anyone about this and 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 help them? Yeah, I do. I'm, I think. I think when you know where what it's like to be there, it gives you more of a passion to want to help them. That's mm. the way I look at it. Because when I was, so you've got to be in rapport with people as well. And I think a lot of a lot of people, a lot of these psychotherapists, they ain't done anything with their life. They've gone to school and they've been well protected. They've, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I get well, they call them people to come in. They want a psychotherapist, but they'd come and talk to you like a counselor or something when you was naughty at school. You'd sit in there. I'd be sitting with my arms crossed and someone walking in a suit. I know I'm wearing a suit on my estate or in the pub, you know what I mean? He'd walk in and go, um, hi Rob, why have you committed that misdemeanor? And I'd be like, I'd go and fuck off your nonsense. What are you looking at me for? Like, and all that. I'd be like, just a complete well, arsehole to him. Yeah, well, I'd call him like, nonsense. Yeah. Like, what are you looking at me for? And Because I couldn't relate. I ain't going to open up to a geezer in a suit. Yeah. I, like, it was so out of my world, I couldn't relate to him. You know, it's hard enough to talk to other people about anything when you're in a, off a council estate. You mix with people that's your own and that's yeah. it. And anything different, you find fearful. Yeah. Like, to me, like the police were the worst thing with growing up in a council estate. To me, you look like a cosa in a, in a, yeah. in a suit. You know what I mean? I ain't fucking Bill. telling you nothing. <laughs> you're talking about your cosa. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, that is, so a lot of what psychotherapy don't really understand is it's about rapport. Mm. You've got to build rapport with people. You've got to be in tax. And I think people see... see um, if they like you or not, they can see genuine like, honesty. Mm. And if you're honest, then I think it goes a long way. Hundred mm, percent. What makes you stand out? Do you reckon for doing what you're doing compared the to speed. other people? Speed. Okay. Speed. I can I can remove feelings. I look at the emotional intelligence. I don't care what you think. I don't want to listen to you tell me six months worth of anxiety. You'll give me bloody anxiety. I yeah. don't want it. Yeah. Do you know <clears> what I mean? And it's not about the the content so much with me. I look at. Right, so what psychotherapy do is if I cut my arm there mm. and the blood bleeds on the table, yeah, what should I do mm. to make myself better? What would you do? You stitch up the cut, clear yeah? Out, clear but why do they keep anything. wiping the blood? They don't deal with the cut. Mm. They keep treating anxiety. Breathe deeply. Go and meditate. Mm. You know, but they don't They don't deal with the cause. Mm. So, and, and if they can't find the answer, this is the best one, I love it. Gad, genuine anxiety disorder. What a load of nonsense. Mm. That, ain't, that ain't true. You can't be genuinely anxious about everything. Mm. It started, there's, there's a one that it would have started and it would have grew into, it, it, it fires off into other areas. Mm. Like if you're scared of lifts, you probably end up scared of planes. If you're scared of planes, you know, and you can end up agoraphobic where you don't want to go out, but mm. it starts somewhere. Yeah. There's no such thing as genuine anxiety disorder. I'm not having it. It's, mm. I, I, it's laughable, actually, mm. yeah? So I don't look at, I'll, I'll stitch up the cut. That's why so I are you at. changing people's mindsets? Unconsciously, I don't really care. I don't care okay. what you think. I'll deal with the emotion. You're not thick, right? Mm. Someone's scared of flying. They know they've got more chance of crossing the road and get run over or eaten by a shark. Yeah, they're not stupid. There's nothing I can sit there and, and you know tell them reasons how silly it is. They mm. know that. Mm. What happens is you're going to think how you feel. Like I said, if you're scared of flying, when you walk onto a plane and your heart starts pumping and you can't breathe and you get a tight chest and you feel fear, mm. you can only make fearful thoughts. Mm. So of course you, you, you're not going to make so sense. So what are you? Thoughts. What are you? I remove the feeling. 
Okay. I'll take it. I'll, I'll break the feeling down. So I can do like belief breaks and things like that. Um, so it could be a belief break, what caused, caused the trauma. It's normally something that ain't true, you believe, like you died or you're going to die. Like a lot of people in planes visualize themselves and imagine the plane crashing when they're in yeah. turbulence. Yeah. And they, a lot of them, this is so common, visualize their kids at their funeral. Mm. And then they start create this trauma. Mm. And they anchor So you're this pulling trauma. all that apart of you and getting to the feeling from I it. just removed the feeling, yeah. Mm. I, ain't, I don't, all this pulling apart talk is psychotherapy nonsense, mm. yeah. We do one layer at a time, and I'm like, no, I'll go straight in and remove it. I don't, it's, it's hard to explain unless you see me do it. Um, but basically, yeah, I would, I, first of all, you have to disassociate someone. That's yeah. what psychotherapy don't do. If someone's been attacked, say, have a ladies, let's be really brutal here. Someone's been like vicious, violently raped, yeah. right? Now, remember, just bear in mind all the time, my biggest discovery, I think, is that you can only think how you feel. So a woman comes to a psychotherapist, right? And she sits and talks about the- um, Incident. The, the moment, yeah? How do you think she's gonna feel? Just like she did 50, 60% as she did when she was gonna attack. The yeah. fear's gonna come back. She accesses the internal memories. She brings back that emotional quotient. She can then only think in the chemical boundary of, of someone who's been attacked and abused. So then she comes back next week and thinks the same again. And then the third week, she's getting anxiety because she's thinking about what she's got to talk about before she goes there and talks yeah. about it. So now she's getting anxious about guns. So now she's crying. She rocks up on the third week, boiling in tears. And he goes, that's right. You know what? We need to give you some drugs. And so now they give her some antidepressants. But I don't just give her a little bit because it's been three weeks and she's getting worse. They dose her up with some yeah. extravagant amount. And then she walks in like a mummy on the fourth week. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm much better. Yeah. Right. She can't feel anything. It stops the cortisol and all your and all your um, chemicals from moving in your brain. Yeah. Now, so they keep that level. So to get better, you have to be able to adjust your chemicals. So she ends up sitting there, like you know, like after mm. some yeah, I feel better. Yeah. And now she's they've drugged her up, and now they're going to speak about the the rape again. Yeah. Why she's drugged out of her head? How does that make any sense for cure? Mm. If anything, I find that evil. Mm. Right. That ain't helping you. I like mm. all this crap and this um, exposure therapy. I don't know. If you're scared of heights, laying you over a building. If you're scared of sick, we make you watch people being sick. Mm. It's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Talk about cause more trauma. Mm. And I can explain why later on the RES mm. system. So what I would do is the most important thing at first level, something in high trauma, is disassociation. Yeah. Removing them from the feeling. So there's little things that. Um, so I'll would like, you go into them and go, how did you feel at that time when that I'm was happening? I know how they're going to feel. Yeah, no, okay. I would never say that's no, ridiculous. No, 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 I'm not talking for someone would, who's had something bad happen yeah. to like, Yeah, I would ask how they felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I always go through the VAK, like from the um, visual audio kinesthetic emotion, yeah. um, wiring system. So yeah. you've got your five senses, your hearing, seeing, smell, taste, and your feelings. Everything yeah. you do will link through them. So with the with the VAK, visual audio kinesthetic, most of your programs through. So yeah, I might go close your eyes, see what you're seeing. Yeah. If it's something that's traumatic and out, I don't need to. You don't so need know, to go into it. Yeah. You know what's yeah, going to happen, yeah. yeah? But what I'll do is, I'll, this is how I disassociate. And one of, the, one of the moves I'll do is I'll go close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, get some oxygen in their body, try to calm them down. And I'll get them to visualize that they're in a cinema. Mm. Um, this is just a quick technique. This ain't the whole thing, but I should, mm. I'll tell you. I'll get them to visualize them in the cinema in the front row and they're looking at a, a black and white screen and just play three or four seconds of that event on the screen. Obviously, they're still going to go, where are you, one to 10? They're still going to be crying. They're at a yeah. 10, might be at an eight. Yeah. So they'll make them move along five seats and look at themselves, looking at the screen in yeah. black and white. Yeah. Where are you now? They still might be in trauma. Go up five seats. Now looking down at itself, looking across at itself, looking at the screen in black and white. And I'll keep going back and back up yeah. into the projector booth sometimes. They're looking down from the projector booth, looking down at itself, looking down at itself, looking yeah. across at itself, until that number drops. And all of a sudden, you can, you can the, the crying stops. They're not going to go, yeah, wow, it's amazing. But yeah, yeah, yeah I can see it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't feel much now. Yeah. Now now I can talk. To, now we can at least start work. Mm. But you can't start work 
until you take you've got them out of that emotional experience. Yeah. It's impossible. So you've got to disassociate themselves yes. from themselves. From the emotion. Okay. Yeah, okay. from the emotion of the experience. Yeah. And then their common sense can kick in. So it's like imagine this room dodges your brain, yeah? And I go, what's two plus two? Mm. Four. That telly there is all your mathematical equations. Imagine this is like a store, this is your brain inside. And mm. um, what's your favourite colour? Mm. Got a colour? What's your favourite colour? Blue. Blue. So that light there is all your colours uh, from your memory. So what was your front door growing up? A what colour? A pub. What colour was the front door? Uh, red. What colour was your first car you ever had? Black. Um, what colour is your kitchen? White. See, so you're going through your file bank, yeah, yeah. In, in that in that light. Yeah. So you got all these different storage units, but when you access trauma, or um, what happens is, see that little dot, that little screw in there. Mm. In that event, you might have been thinking, "Get me out of here! I need to get away! You know, yeah. help me!" Yeah, that's yeah. it. And your brain will anchor that feeling. And hold on to that. Yeah, and all you're allowed to do is think what's in there. So yeah. every time that feeling comes back from the trauma that you experienced, mm. all you're going to think is I need to get out of here, I need yeah. to get away, help me. Yeah, I feel under fear of scaredness to come yeah. up. I went to, if you're if you're having a panic attack, I'm sitting with you doing therapy, and I'm going, oh, um, tell me about the, the 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 incident where you got attacked, and you're going, <laughs> and you're crying, and you're just, if I went to you, what's two plus two, Dodge? Mm. You'd go, okay, you're talking about two plus two. Yeah. You won't be able to tell me two plus two. Now you know you know it, but you won't be able to tell me. What's your front door? Mm. You won't be able to tell me because why you're in that emotional experience? Your your unconscious is not letting you. It don't trust you. Yeah, because you know you're not, we're not going there. You're standing. Yeah. You're standing that little dot. When the feeling wears off, whew, you go back into this. Mm. It's like someone's scared of planes. Once they get off the plane and the trauma goes. They calm down. They'll go. So stupid. Yeah. I know. I'm ruining my kid's life. Yeah. They're not going on a deep. So then they can start talking consciously. But until that feeling wears off, they mm. can only think the thoughts. I need to get off. I'm going to die. That's mm. it. So if that makes any sense to you, it's like mm. a little switch that happens. Mm. That's what's going like, on. So with- the, the power of the unconscious mind is so powerful, but the majority yeah. of people don't understand the unconscious mind at all. No, this is that they think it's about thinking. It ain't about thinking. Mm. You ain't. They underestimate themselves. Is um, it being aware? Is it having your conscious mind, having the self awareness to understand the unconscious mind is also very powerful? It's more important than understanding a conscious mind because your abilities. See, the are the, there's a part of the brain called the reticular activating system. It's a group of neurons at the bottom of the brain that works as a filtering system. Mm. Now, what this does, Dodge. What you focus on, you become. Mm. Yeah. So this is the proof to me that's what the way they're working with psychotherapy and CBT is so harmful. Yeah, more than good. I'll tell you why. Even though figures prove it. Yeah. The REA system is what you focus on, you become. Basically, it's the oldest proverb of all time. It's in the Deep Sea Scrolls, in Egyptian pyramids. You're going to find it everywhere you go. Any religious book. Yeah. It's no secret. Have you ever thought of a yellow car, that old one when you was a kid and all of, the, all of a sudden you see yellow cars or your dad had come home with a yeah. new car and as he comes on that new car, you notice the car your dad's yeah. got or you want yeah. a new car, yeah? yeah? Or your missus is pregnant. Yeah. Everywhere you go, you start seeing pregnant women. Yeah. That's the reticular activating system. Have you got any things in your life where that's familiar to you, Dodge? You thought about saying, gone to buy a new car, you see the car Well, you do, way. you do. That's a prime example is a car, I guess. Yeah. You think, oh, I'll get that car, that'd be lovely. I'm not, even, I'm not even in the cars, that's not my bag and watches no. and what have you, but you do if, clock. Yeah. Like you said earlier, black Range Rover, all of a sudden you're seeing in that day, you see 25 black Range Rovers. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's, the, that's your RES filter. So what it does is it sort of, your brain distorts, deletes and generalizes information. Because otherwise, if I took in every piece of detail I've seen that mm. in your lovely um, office here, I can see all the photos over there, the leaves and the books behind you, you, your shirt, the mic, the lights. If I had taken every piece of detail I can see, every bit of information on an equal, on an equal mm. level, my brain would melt down. It mm. wouldn't be able to function. 
So we have to delete information, distort mm. and generalize, which we get a lot of our muck-ups from in our life. So the RS system shows you what you're interested in. So when we look at the photos and that there, yeah? yeah. If I'm into a boxing, if there was a boxer on there, I'd have noticed him first just mm. because that's my preference, mm. yeah? You're, it matches your map. Mm. And there's a thing called a confirmation bias. You agree with what you read. Mm. So you'll, you'll read something, that's a good book, that's because it already matches your beliefs yeah. and filter. When you visualize your goals, mm. yeah? You are, so say if you've, um, it ain't about focusing on what you don't want, it's about focusing on what you want. So say if you're at work, yeah, and you're scared of speaking up in a, in a conference, yeah. yeah? Well, the more you put your focus on the calls, the more you're going to attract fear mm. before you go into the meeting, you'll feel fearful mm. before the meeting's even started. But if you start visualizing yourself speaking up, yeah, and you, you close your eyes and you imagine what that'd be like if you could, yeah. not saying you can, you make sure you're in a safe place where no one knows, and you yeah. visualize yourself standing, speaking up, and you start doing it on a daily basis. And then you commentate with your audio over the top. Yeah, yeah I look good. I'm standing up. I'm speaking. Yeah. You do that every day. The unconscious doesn't know what's true and it isn't. Yeah. So when you're closing your eyes and you're visualizing your goal, your, your unconscious releases the emotions to 30, 40% of the chemical balance of the person mm. standing up mm. confidently. So now you're practicing the emotion of the prior to the event. Mm. So you're, you're, you're becoming this person before the event happens. Mm. It takes 30 days. Mm. So you're actually rewiring your brain. Mm. So when you're visualizing yourself with your goal, with a, with a dream car or your- or, Festival. Or, first of all. 30,000 people. Exactly. Bournemouth Sevens Festival. I've exactly. Been, I've been visualizing for years. Of course you have. Yeah, I'm, 25, yeah. 100% you would, does mm. because there's no other way it can happen. Mm. Because, and I'll prove it to you, everything gets made twice, right? Mm. First inside the mind and outside here. It has to get creative vision. Yeah. You're a visionary. That's why you're you're so successful at what you mm. do. Bournemouth Festival mm. gets created inside your brain first before mm. the people turn up and, yeah. and, and rock it up, yeah? yeah? So look around this room now, both of you, See if you can find me anything in this room that never started as a vision in a human's brain, except for what comes from nature and the earth in its original yeah, it's form. It's all been created. Every all single wonderful thing, ideas. From, yeah. the, from the beginning of mankind until today, yeah. everything you're looking at was what yeah. was first a thought. Yeah? And you can have yeah. the inside and outside of every um, building in Paul or Bournemouth. Yeah? Yeah. Every single building, inside and out, mm. except for what comes from nature and the earth in its original form, trees, plants, cats, dogs, wind, rain, sand, snow, mm. that sort of stuff, the elements of the earth. See if you can find me one thing, mm. and as you said, it's there's not. nothing. Not. So understanding that you have to get creative in creative in there and if what academic intelligence is doing is making you think of the worst case scenario mm. that you've got to overcome so then you start putting building blocks in front of you mm. and before you know it you can't see your vision mm. you see loads of things you've got to overcome mm. yeah. where like yourself you're a visionary you mm. see the outcome you see the tent you see the people up dancing you mm. see the flame throwers, you mm. see the you know whatever you're doing that, that has to get created as a thought so everything yeah. from the beginning of mankind till today you're looking at in your room folks was first mm. inside of a human's brain in a bit of tissue as a load of yeah. neurons wiring the firing together mm. how mad's that it's mad isn't it robert where do people find you where can people get older you and find out about you and everything you do because this has been fascinating and i like how you've created something out of nothing that's what i really like about this conversation and what i really like about it is you stay true to yourself you haven't tried to be someone special you haven't no. tried to put a suit on and cover up who you are it's been you a boy done good from south london in a real tough upbringing, how can people find and get hold of you? Instagram, Robert Heisey, H-I-S-W-E, www.thehypnotistman.com is where I take all my bookings for any therapy, um, any inquiries. Um, and I've also got the Holistic Retreat, which is in my bow, which is a, a, a mind and body and soul retreat where you work on your fitness, eating, and I'll do the um, mind therapy. 
um, a few times a year. So that's where you find me. But yeah, they're the best places to find me. Yeah, I'm always on Instagram though. So but if anyone wants to look at any little on Instagram, I've got loads of little real cuts that you can have a listen to to yeah. see if it Go check him out, guys. Anyone listens to this, go and check him out on Instagram because you'll learn a hell of a lot from there. But you know what? Amazing that you come down here. I really appreciate your time. And I love what you're doing. I've loved it as well, Dodge. Honestly, when I walked in here and seen what you've created, it's amazing as well. So a true visionary. So thank you very much for having me. I Good feel man. really honoured. Thank you. You're a gentleman. Cheers, thank Rob. You very Take much. it easy, thank mate. You, mate. Cheers, pal.